Wondering how to navigate local, city, state, or the federal government in order to grow your business, secure funding for your nonprofit, or advance your organization's agenda? Welcome to Lobbying Insider, a podcast that brings listeners to the intersection of business and government to provide a rare perspective on how things actually get done. We will dive into some pressing current issues, provide keen observations from the past, and keep an ever-watchful eye on what's coming next. I'm your host, Zach Fink, Director of External Affairs at Davidoff, Hutcher & Citron. Glad to have you with us. And welcome. We are joined by two colleagues. We're going to break down Governor Hochul's State of the State Address for 2024. This is generally setting the tone for the Albany legislative session. The governor puts out her ideas for what she wants from the legislature for the year. The legislature comes back and counters, and then they try and reach an agreement on the budget, which is due at the end of March, and then standalone pieces of legislation that they can agree or not agree on throughout the year towards the latter half of the legislative session that ends in June. I'm joined by, well, let me let you both introduce yourself. Bianca, let's start with you. Bianca Rajprasad, Associate Director for the Government Relations Group at DHC. Keith Wright, uh, also of DHC, but also the New York County Democratic leader. Can't wait to hear both your perspective on this. All right, so let me just start. We, we were all together in Albany. Uh, we were watching the speech itself. What were your first impressions? I think given what played out last year with the the governor's you know housing initiatives being put forth i think it was great to hear her optimism of possibly passing a comprehensive housing uh, package this year you know i think we're all looking forward to the executive budget coming out next week or so to figure out you know where she stands on 421a where both houses actually stand on 421a and extending that um, and also the plans for New York State to extend affordable housing and, and really start building, right? I think one thing she, she highlighted that was imperative was the fact that we have to build. We know it's, it's not just 100,000 units or little pit pieces here and there. It's like we have to put together a plan that's really not only housing the homeless, right? It's also the migrant crisis, right? Which I know she touched on a, a little bit. And I know a lot of legislators are looking for her to expand more on like providing funding and the exec budget. So I think... You know, starting point was great. I, I think we're all just looking forward for that exact budget to really put out the details of what that's going to look like moving forward. Her priorities, right? Mm-hmm. No, I think Bianca is absolutely correct. I noticed from her speech of last year, as opposed to the speech of this year, last year's speech was very ambitious, I thought, yeah. and very put forth um, a couple of items that were meant to be political home runs. And in this year, I noticed that She's uh, basically trying to hit some singles and doubles and trying to run, get some runs batted in. Put, put people on the you field. You put people right? on the yeah, field, right, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, uh, and it, it, it doesn't sound like she really wants to get in any fights with the legislature this right. year. You're always going to have fights no matter what. But it does not sound like she wants to get in any fights this year. And she just wants to get her agenda passed. Bianca's absolutely correct. We do in a way have to wait for the budget to come out because then you see where her priorities actually are, what she finds important, and what, what she's going to put her money behind. Yeah, and, it's a uh, statement of priorities. A statement of priorities, right. And so uh, it was a different tone yeah. from the year before, but, but she still has some things that she really wants to get done. And I think she wants to get housing done, but it's, it's, she's going to try a different way. 
And you both made reference to this just to go back to last year, just on the background, that the governor came out with her state of the state. It was very ambitious. She's talking about 800,000 units of housing, had a controversial proposal to force the suburbs to build more housing by overriding local zoning. Now, this was rejected by localities, by local electeds, and they wound up, because that fight was so contentious, Nothing got done on housing. They just couldn't come to terms on anything. This time around, she was a lot more conciliatory, I think, and a lot more eager to work with the legislature on a couple of points. But she did, and this is was somewhat of a surprise to me, she did, in fact, include, has some housing proposals, had been told initially that she might be backing off it. She was not eager for a fight with the legislature, but some of the ones that they should be able to come to terms on, and everyone agrees on the problem, they have to build more affordable housing. That is something that she could come together with the legislature and do, but I don't know that there's any guarantee it will. No, and I think she's absolutely correct in trying to – housing is a, is a situation that concerns all of New York. A lot of people seem to think it is just a New York City problem, and it's not. And I, and I commend her for, for trying to push it forward on the whole state of New York, but she's doing what she thinks she can do. Right. And uh, – without any causing any more fractious fights with, with the legislature. And um, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, and it's already brewing, right? I mean, if she's talking about a replacement for 421A, which you referenced, this is the tax incentive that urges developers to build affordable housing. They're basically building luxury housing, but they set aside a certain amount of units that are then affordable. Developers have to make money in order to build affordable housing right. is, is the long and short of it. And this is the thing that they couldn't come to terms on because the legislature was very in favor of tenant protections. I think how she laid it out this year, not going too in-depth on what her priorities are, was smart, right? Because you're looking at it as the legislators are up for re-election this year, right? So you're kind of putting it in their hands now, as in both the Assembly and the Senate chambers, to come up with their own proposals, because at the end of the day, 421A has to be rolled into that. And also some form of good cause has to be rolled in tenant protections. That's what the voters are going to look for in the new year. So I think her not putting out an ambitious proposal as she did last year, kind of saying, like, let's work together to get this done. And I, I'm assuming she's going to wait now for both houses to come up with their own plans um, to address housing and come to the table when they do the three-way agreement to figure out what's best for the members in both houses, but also best for the state of New York. Because what is good for downstate may not be good for upstate, right? And that's the big fight, too, internally. So I guess we'll see. One size fits all is always very difficult in New York State, right? I mean, you could draw on the fact that legislating for such different mm -hmm. parts of New York can be really challenging, right? Oh, no question. Yes, one size does not fit all right. in this state. I mean, you have New York City, which is a conglomeration of everything and everybody. And then you have basically other communities that are more homogeneous, whether it's in the suburbs yeah. or whether it's upstate New York. But I want to get back to the point that Bianca made. And, and I think the governor is probably very smart and not really wanting to pick a fight with the legislature. And she's, you know, she's doing them a favor right now because certainly a lot of her proposals from uh, a year ago, became very contentious in her race for governor, whether we're talking about crime or migrants and, and certainly housing, because it's the legislature that has to run this year. Right. She's not up for re-election, which is an up. important point. But That's all, right. more than 200 members of the legislature are. Right. And I think she's actually doing them a favor, whether they know it or not, in trying to soften her some of her policies right i'm not saying they won't come back again yeah but i think that she uh, actually tried to throw them a political bone of sorts yeah no that makes sense now one of the other things that sort of 
caught me by surprise was, you know, there's been very contentious fights over criminal justice reforms the last couple of years. The governor favor, you know, favoring kind of rolling back reforms that the legislature had made in effect. And this time around, we thought that was also something she might stay away from. But she went very big on retail theft and talked about a, a crackdown. And, you know, look, in Albany, we've seen shopkeepers and their organizations come up. They've been complaining that it's just very lax and they don't do anything about about it and the cops, you know, kind of turn the other way and don't don't really help them out and that they're losing money. You know, I mean, I know I know just, you know, anecdotally here in New York City, you walk into a Dwayne Reed and all this stuff is locked up, you know, because they've had such a problem really post COVID, I would argue. But it, mm-hmm. it's but it but but for according to the to the shop owners, it's continued. So what is your sense in terms of whether they can do anything with the legislature? Clearly, the last two years they have not been able to or at least the fight was about bail and not about this. I don't know how you really stop the retail theft legislatively. I, I just don't know yeah. if they can. Yes, I'm sick and tired of trying to get my aqua fresh toothpaste uh, and asking <laughs> right. a clerk, right. and it takes them 15 minutes to come. You got to press the button and, and be like, the button "It's one associate that has the key." Yeah, assistance yeah. needed in aisle 13. That's right. right. That's right. I mean, yeah. I get a little sick. I'm just trying to get some deodorant or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It's um, just to be a little much sometimes. But yeah. I don't know how they. Stop retail theft legislatively. Right. I just don't understand. Well, they're talking. I'd about, have to see the proposal. They're talking about increasing penalties. Yeah. Right. Okay. But, but is well, that going to is that going to do the trick? No. Right. No. Right. No. The increasing of penalties rarely works. Right. Because someone who's ripping off a Dwayne Reed isn't like, well, I was going to get right. three months, but That's now I'm right. only going to get. That's you right. Know. And, incre- yeah. and I'll tell you this: increasing penalties is not something that the state assembly does is very lightly. Do. Right. And I'm sure the makeup of the New York State Senate at this moment politically, I, I don't see them uh, having a large appetite on increasing penalties. Because it just pour, puts more people in behind bars. Puts more people behind bars, exactly. Right. You know, just to add on to that, like, like Keith said, I don't see how you regulate that legislatively. I think really what has to be done is working with our law enforcement and also these private entities to up their security, right? And I don't know this for a fact, but don't quote me on this. But to my understanding, how some of these big box retail shops work is they don't if you make one offense, they don't you know take you down for that one offense. They, they you have to make three offenses of shoplifting and then that's when they they bring you in. You know, maybe that's something internally that some of these big retail stores start talking about. Like maybe you got to look at that first offense and approach that shoplifter or whatever the case may be or up the amount of security guards within your vicinities. You know, especially during the holidays, I know a lot of like Target, during Reed, they have more security guards on hand or they have an NYPD officer staffing the shop. So I don't know if that's just a collaboration between the private sector and also law enforcement to up security. Well, and sometimes it puts bad, you know, kind of puts security guards and employees in a bad position, right? Because if, they, if they're trying to intervene and then they wind up getting into a confrontation with someone who, who may be hell-bent on stealing. It like goes it, viral on social media. Yeah, it goes viral on social media. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not really fair to the person who works at CVS, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's not really their job to, to do that. So it, it gets tricky. Yeah. Uh, and I'll reiterate this. I mean, the legislature is loath to increasing penalties. Right. Because when you look at the folks that are supposedly mm-hmm. shoplifting, Mainly black and brown folks from right. from from poor communities, right? Uh, and I mean, the real the real cure to that is a job, right? And the, 
legislature has been going in the opposite direction, meaning that they've been trying to decriminalize, get people out of jail, look at alternatives, not get them tied up into the criminal justice system because so many people are touched by it and then have a permanent record. That's right. Right. I agree. So that that that's a, a tough one too, and a tough needle mm-hmm. to thread for all of them. Uh, mental health was a big component. She went big on this last year as well. To me, and I'll get both of your thoughts on this. You know, there are laws in this state governing civil commitment, which is putting someone who needs permanent care in a home against their will. And it seems like anytime there's any kind of proposal to change that, the advocates get very upset. And they say that we can't do that, that, you know, the, the putting someone away in New York State is very difficult to do. People's individual liberties and freedoms are protected here better than in a lot of states. So let me ask you, I mean, I, is there any appetite to change that? I mean, and is that the solution? Would you have to be able to take people who maybe are not able to take care of themselves, who could be a threat to other people out of that situation and put them in an institution? Well, I think that would be discussed uh, uh in a very comprehensive manner, but I liked her proposal in terms of creating more mental health courts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was good, and that's something that's needed. The idea of civil commitment has never been a uh, particularly popular. Um, yeah, it's a tough uh, one, it's right? A tough I mean, one. it's a really it's a tough, tough one. I got tough. feelings on both ways about yes, it. Yes, you know? absolutely. It's... I was on the train the other day. Yeah, there's a dude I wanted to put in there for civil commitment, <laughs> but I voted the other way when right. I was in the legislature. <laughs> I said maybe I didn't vote correctly. Right, right. Well, it's an oh, individual uh, choice that's in the matter, that's but right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's also like we have to start looking at it as, you know, like you just mentioned, a civilian, like a civilian you see on a train. I think more so giving more power to the families. I think that's something that maybe she should look into because, you know, as a family member, if you see another family member suffering from mental illness, whether it be depression, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, like you're going to want to help, right? And I think that's having the family have more of a say in it um, would be beneficial. Yeah. Um, again, it gets a little touchy with the advocates when anyone else has a say on someone else's liberties, you know, putting them on medication and things of that nature. And right. I understand that. I'm sympathetic to that. But I also think, you know, as family, you would have a, some type of, you know, knowledge of what's best for your own family member, right? So giving families more of a say in, you know, maybe you know, getting them on an assisted program, if it's not just putting them away in a hospital, like getting them on a, a, a plan with like a, a therapist or a psych, a psychologist to make sure that they're getting the services that they need. I think it's beneficial on both ends. I think that's right. And I think it's it gets tricky when you put the state in charge of these decisions, mm-hmm. right? Because the state has not always been known to be the best uh, provider of those kinds of services, particularly for someone who needs full-time care like right. that, you know, and, and, and it feels like, in, you know, in the last century, we kind of got away from putting people in institutions and there was rife, you know, with abuse and horrible things going on. But, you know, maybe the pendulum swung a little too far back the other way where you can't put anybody, you know, yeah. uh, in, a, in a place where they need full-time care. I agree. Um, and I think, like, we even saw that on Staten Island with Willowbrook, the Willowbrook School. Willowbrook. Um, Willowbrook. That was, that was like this is what thing. put Geraldo Rivera on the map, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this, he, he was the one who got the key to the – yep. you know this story, yep. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And now they have the Willowbrook Mile. and obviously Tell, they tell, tell, tell the story because it's, it's very interesting. Oh, 
you do? You tell the story. Okay. <laughs> he basically got the key to to Willowbrook and mm-hmm. was able was to able to inside. to get inside mm-hmm. and was able to expose on television the right. amount of abuse that was going on. And again, it's one situation like he was completely right. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is they then went in the other direction. They're like, well, let's shut them all down, you mm-hmm. know, because because we can't administer them properly. So. Yeah. I remember as a kid, um, and I was uh, maybe ten years old or when when he did that expose. Uh, of Willowbrook, and, yeah, and it just shocked the whole world. Right, it shocked the world that 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 folks could be living in these deplorable uh, conditions, and uh, of course that's what shot him to fame. Yeah, uh, Geraldo Rivera, sure, absolutely. Yeah, that was a, a really big one. And I think that's mm-hmm. what people use as an example of why you don't allow for even in, there were certain family members who institutionalized their. Other family members had them at Willowbrook, knew of what the abuse that was going on internally. And they use that as an example because they don't want that to happen again. And we obviously sympathetic to that, understand that. But I think in different times, adding more regulations, you know, you could even the ground, allowing family members to be a vocal advocate for their their own. Yeah. And being a little bit more involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. Uh, social media. OK, this is this is an interesting one. Uh, governor wants to crack down on social media on the, and I, th- I believe the quote was, let me have it here, it says she wants to regulate the algorithms because it's a bit of a poison. People believe that, uh, particularly when it comes to young people, they, they go for the likes, they, they put themselves out there and how they look, and then they want people to, to offer praise and, and reaffirm how they feel about themselves. And yeah, for someone with low self-esteem and they don't get that response, it can be very very toxic, but it sort of brings me back to the other point. You know, it's not toxic for everybody. It's toxic for some. So how do you regulate something like that? Yeah, I found that fascinating. Yes. I, 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 damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Uh, and certainly social media has been a great benefit to society and to individuals, but it also can be a looked at as a harm if used in, in like anything. If you drink too much alcohol, you become an alcoholic. Right. If you... Um, uh, eat too much candy, you get fat. Right. Uh, right. So, I mean, I don't know if parents have to do a better job or yeah. of, reg- of regulating. They're the real regulators. Right. And, and you do have a situation. You and I have joked about this, Keith, where yeah. there there are people kind of you know in our subset who who may not be that familiar with the technology. So let's say you're a parent, right, and you're you're not right. even aware of what your kids yeah, might yeah, be yeah, looking yeah, at. Yeah, right. Absolutely. No, but I think. Um, Regulating of social media. I mean, when does it become censorship? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see how it plays out. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting to think of regulating the algorithm. Um, but I think one thing that should be emphasized amongst these social media platforms is the parental controls. Yeah. Um, like, I'll, I'm not vouching for any specific system, but I know for Meta, when it comes to Messenger, they have a special kids messenger where, like, a parent's account needs to be attached to the kids messenger and they get to see all the conversations being had, what they're viewing and things of that nature. So, like, implementing something along those lines where, like, you're you're mandating, I, 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 hate, I hate the word mandate, but, like, in a sense, mandating social media platforms to have these parental controls where if your child under a certain age has an account has to be attached to your social media account automatically. Okay. So like you, so could you can see screen it a little better. Exactly. Right. So right. it's not just like, oh, you could only... Because I think right now how certain platforms work is um, if you're of a certain age, you're supposed to only see certain content. That usually doesn't happen yeah. that way. Like there's certain games like Roblox and other um, games where like you're supposed to be only see certain content, but sometimes ads could pop up, right? 
Um, so I think if the state wants to go down that road, I think really working with these platforms to say, like, if your child's going to be on this platform, it needs to be attached to your specific account. So like you said, they could screen it, see in real time what they're doing, what they're viewing, and can delete or have their child continue to be on the platform. I could never figure out how to do that. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, it was a great idea yeah. <laughs> when I thought about it initially. That's but I, for younger parents, let me tell you. I, you're I tell young. You. Exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. But you know what? That's a good point because there are. Yeah, it is. There's an age gap, right? And I get that, too. But Technology, age gap. Yeah, I'm good with some things, but uh, others, it's way beyond me. And my man, if you can't figure it out, you know <laughs> I can't oh figure it out. I'm younger than you, so yeah. yeah. I, I tried. <laughs> I tried. Bianca's really the good be the only one who would I'll be, be the only parent, yeah. right? <laughs> I think the governor's office will be calling you. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Certainly of the, the three of us. Implemented, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing she also mentioned, this is an ongoing problem, but I think people disagree about kind of the remedy here, which is out-migration. Ties into housing, I think, a little bit. New York State is losing people in big, big numbers. And, you know, what is really the cause of that? I mean, we're losing congressional representation, for example. We're poised to lose, an, you know, another couple of House seats in the in ten years after the census again. What do you think is sending people to other states? Money, yeah, money, pure and simple. Whether you're a um, just married couple, just starting out, maybe in your late twenties or early thirties, you're looking to economize as much as possible. Right, um, senior citizens. Uh, you're finding that your pension check and your social security check will probably go a little farther in Delaware or some other godforsaken so it's, place. it's cost of living. You it's cost of living. It comes yeah. down to money. Right. Or if you're a younger person, you find that if you you're making a you have a job making a hundred thousand dollars in New York, and whether you can make that same hundred thousand dollars in uh, Florida or right. Oklahoma or wherever it is, Ohio, you know you have to make a choice. Right. As far as I was concerned, there was no choice. I'm staying home. Right. <laughs> I'm staying home. I think also, too, um, and I hate to like wean this into, you have a lot of virtual jobs now coming uh, into play. Post-pandemic, it is right. a different world. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. like, you don't have to be stable in one location. You could be in True. Florida and work on New York True. projects, right? True. Like, Or for a New York-based company. So that plays a factor as well. Again, it goes back to incentivizing companies to hire locally, to want to set up shop in our backyards, um, and also affordability. That also plays a part, right? So it's a number of factors, I think. Yeah, and, and it does, I think, bring us back to housing a little bit too, right? I mean, mm. if, if people are leaving and can't afford a home, even a rental— that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, that right. Huge. I mean, if it, it's huge. You can't. You can't, you yeah. can't even. If you can't even yeah. live here, yeah. You know. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems like everybody is in agreement on that, but then they can't seem to come to terms on, on a grand bargain on housing. Right. And then the holdup is really the the tenant protections versus the extension of the tax break. You think, right? That's that is the holdup, and yeah. that and again, it's they have to both. Both sides, the real estate industry, the tenant advocates need to come to the table and find a middle ground. It can't just be one way or the other. Um, they both have a stake in, in our state and they have to find a middle ground in order to move forward on this initiative. But and that's easier said than done. Bianca. I know. Yeah, I, I know. Right I now. know. I was always told when I was in politics, uh, when I first got into politics, if you get 75, 80 percent of what you want, that's a good deal. But you have on one side, you have the... Um, uh, the legislature, or the governor, actually, who is uh, very true to her ideals, 
and you have the the, the advocates or the uh, the progressives that are very uh, true to their ideals, right? And compromising is going to be easier said than done. If it were easy, we would have had it in the last two or three years. That's right. And there's <coughs> and this divide in the Democratic Party has yeah. been more and more pronounced as, as right. time has gone exactly. on. Exactly. Um, we're getting near the end here, but I did want to pick up on something you said earlier, Keith, regarding mm-hmm. kind of not trying to go for the home run, swing for the fences. You know, some critics had described. Uh, you know, what she was trying to do is kind of small ball. And I think that the governor's mm-hmm. office is sensitive to that terminology. But I, I think the point being, like, for example, she wants to build public pools in New York, right, and give access to people who don't necessarily have access to pools. It's a great idea. It's not always something you see in something as grand as a state. Well, I state. thought that was, yeah, I thought, exactly. Yeah, but I thought it was creative. Yeah. I personally am not going to go swim in the East River, but right. um, <laughs> uh, it, it might be an experience for right. some of the folks. Someone in, else, yeah. Some of the folks in Staten Island. Oh right. boy, don't pull they us in. Someone <laughs> at this table is from Staten Island, right. if I'm not mistaken, and her name is it, yeah, begins be, with a B. And it might, ends be a, in a different, di- might be a different sort of experience, but I thought it was actually kind of creative. Yeah, um, I had never heard. Uh, that proposal before right. in a state of the state. Yeah. Um, and and it, 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 it merits further investigation. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's I think plenty of people who don't have access to pools at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought it was creative on, on the governor's part and um, looking forward to seeing getting, getting implemented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We are going to leave it there. Thanks to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. The Lobbying Insider is a production of Davidoff, Hutcher & Citron, LLP, New York's premier middle market law firm, practicing in over 20 areas, including commercial litigation, economic development, real estate, and of course, government relations. The Lobbying Insider is produced by Joe Benti, and our sound recording engineer is Devante Addison. Publicity by Jody Fisher PR with Beth Ann Mayer at Lemon Seed Creative Managing Social Media. Our podcast platform manager is Monica Thomas. I'm Zach Fink, host of the podcast, and if you'd like to help us spread the word about our show, please share it with colleagues and friends, and be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice. It can be found on Apple, Audible, Google, iHeart, Podbean, and Spotify platforms. Thanks for joining us.